0: to have you here. It's a delight and an honor to get to teach you this morning. There's some thunder there. I don't know if the microphone's picking it up, but we are in a a marvelous uh, stone chapel, uh, part of the Lanier Theological Library complex, coming to you live and appreciate you spending some time with us. So here we go to the PowerPoint, Brent. Um, We've got biblical study during the coronavirus that if we're going to study the Bible right now has to be done uh, in through the internet but nonetheless the Bible still gives us a place to run for refuge and we get to do it this is the Sunday after Easter now Easter Sunday historically has been the days uh the, the day of the year when our church is packed to the brim with people uh, not so this year uh, not because uh, uh, people weren't tuned in they were but because the church was closed for physical attendance. Regardless, Easter Sunday is a pinnacle Sunday within the Christian tradition and the Christian faith. It's Resurrection Day. It's what the Christian faith finds for its its meaning and its definition, and it's, it's why Christianity is not simply... Uh, a sect of Judaism, uh, but, but is, is a, a completed faith open to the world uh, to embrace. But the problem is what happens after Easter. Everybody tunes in for Easter, but after Easter things start to fade. For some they fade more than they do for others. And that excitement and that resurrection power and that, that, that Easter moment seems to become a memory. I don't want that to happen to us. That should never be the case. Easter Sunday should never be a historical event that we revisit once a year. Easter Sunday has the power to change our life every day, to change who we are, how we live, and how we feel about life. And so I want us to revisit it, but we're going to do it in a little bit different way. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the story on the road to Emmaus. It comes out of Luke 24. If you've got a Bible, you can open it. But if not, I'll show the Bible with us. We're going to look at Luke 24. And we're going to start with verse 13. So we'll come over to the Elmo and uh, get after it here. That very day. Now, this is, this is Sunday. This is the day of the resurrection. Two of them, and if we'd been reading in context, those are disciples of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. The Greek didn't read miles, that's our translators. Sixty stadia in the Greek, but it turns into about seven miles. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him so they don't realize this is jesus and jesus said to them what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk what are you all talking about and they stood still looking sad then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Our, by the way, Cleopas is the male form. Uh, Cleopatra is the female form of that name, for what it's worth. Freebie. <clears throat> Cleopas answered him and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus said to them, uh, What are you talking about? What things? And they said, well, it's concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man who was a prophet, mighty. By the way, they're talking past tense here. He was, he was, he is a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. That same word also means confused. You're not quite sure. Women were not allowed at that time to be a witness. And so you're not sure if they're saying that the women were believable or not. Um, some amazed us or confused us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found the tomb empty like the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he was going further... But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. It's getting close to evening. The day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, when they were eating dinner, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Just as he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, found the 11 apostles, and those who were with them gathered together and said, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So the apostles had their own revelation that Jesus had appeared to Peter. And they told what had happened on the road. These are Cleopas and his friend and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So that's the story. Now, what are we going to do with this story? The story on the road to Emmaus is a story that I want to make three points from today. And so if we look back at our road, point number one we're going to make is I want to talk a little bit about the journey of Luke himself, the writer of the story. The second point I want to make is I want to talk about a couple of interesting details that we might miss just reading the story on the journey of Emmaus. And then our third and final point will be the journey of our lives. What does this have to say to us? Why do we care? So let's start with the journey of Luke. Now, Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote a book called Acts. Some people call it Acts of the Apostles. And both were books that he wrote after doing a lot of research, talking to a number of eyewitnesses. And he wrote them to a student of the Lord named Theophilus. And he wrote them so Theophilus would have some reliable information on which to base his faith and his understanding of how god was working so within these this this two book collection and a lot of people say well why didn't luke just write one luke is actually the longest gospel and and these were originally written on scrolls not not books and papers or heaven's computers and so you'd write on a scroll well a scroll had a maximum length before it became unwieldy and so it's like when you buy lumber you can buy a two by four but it's hard to buy one that's two and a half inches by five and three-quarter inches uh, you know you, you just the, there things come in certain sizes and it was no different with scrolls and so uh, uh, the, the scroll length is exactly how long it would take to write the gospel of Luke And so he ran out of room and then he started his next scroll. And that's what we call the book of Acts because we have them as books now. And they were originally separate scrolls. Well, during the the, the writing that Luke did, Luke was big on journeys. So Luke used a lot of journey words and a lot of journey stories in his writing. Luke, in Luke chapter 2, is who has the story about young Jesus taking the journey back to Jerusalem with his family and then afterwards getting uh, left behind while his family started to journey home. Luke's tuned into journeys. He's got uh, in in chapter 9 the story of Jesus sending out the 72 on a journey. Jesus says, uses the word journey as you go out on your journey. You don't need to take this, this, and this. Here's what you need to do. Luke's real sensitive about journeys. He tells stories about journeys. Um, He's got the parable of the prodigal son. The other gospel writers don't, but the prodigal son in in Luke chapter 15 is the story. And he journeys to a distant land, not just uh, geographically, but distant from his father. And, 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 And Luke's making that journey as a metaphor in that story. Journey to a distant land. Um, the journey of the good Samaritan. Is another journey story. That Luke has. That the other gospel writers don't. It's in Luke chapter 10. With the, 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 the gentleman who's going down on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he gets waylaid by uh, robbers. And, and, and uh, left for dead by the side of the road. And other people making their journey in life. Come across him. And only the Samaritan takes the time and trouble to minister to his needs. It's Luke in the book of Acts that talks about Paul's journeys. It's Luke in the book of Acts that talks about the journey of the Ethiopian eunuch. It's in Acts chapter 8. Here's a guy riding in his chariot, and, and he's clearly a, a, a bon vivant in, in Ethiopia. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a somebody, And he's going in his chariot and he's reading from Isaiah. And Philip intersects him. Philip. And and the story actually aligns so closely to the story of the journey to Emmaus. Here he is. He's uh, the Ethiopian eunuch's on a journey. He's also going through scripture. He doesn't understand it either until someone comes alongside him and explains it. And once that happens, he ends up the story in faith. So this is Luke. Luke recognizes that we're on a journey. Now, I I also want, while we're talking about Luke and Acts, to look at another aspect of his writings. Luke has structured this journey uh, that, that we read about in Luke and Acts. He structured it like an hourglass in the way he wrote. Let me explain what I mean. I'll use my hands on this, Brent. At the beginning, there are huge crowds around Jesus. In the writings of Luke. So Luke begins with the myriad of angels proclaiming the birth of Jesus. Something not told in the other gospel stories. But you've got myriads of angels. You've got great crowds following Jesus. In Luke 5, Luke says, great crowds gathered. In Luke 8, it talks about the the people are so crowded that when Jesus is touched by a woman in the crowd, he turns around and says, who touched me? Trying to draw the woman out. And his his disciples are saying, "Uh, look man, there's like a monster throng of people around you. Jesus, great crowds of people. Uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks, who do the crowds say that I am? To his disciples, to find out what people were saying. Uh, uh, Luke 14, the triumphal entry is one where the crowds are crying out. Even before that, Luke 12, great crowds accompany Jesus everywhere he goes. And so uh, uh, chapter 19, I'm sorry, is the triumphal entry. But at that point, the crowds begin to dwindle and the hourglass tightens. And they fall away. And Jesus says even his apostles are going to fall away him. And- and, and Peter says, I won't. And God says, Jesus says, yes, you will. You're going to deny me before the cock crows three times. And everybody does. And Jesus is crucified. And the great crowds of his followers are, and those singing his praises are no longer there. He's got some women and disciples who watch from afar off the way Luke describes it. Because Luke is painting this picture of Jesus. Hanging, Isolated with two thieves one of whom's mocking him and so that hourglass closes down and then jesus enters into the tomb and the tomb is is just jesus until the resurrection and with the resurrection that hourglass starts to open back up you've got the angels who are in the tomb You've got Mary and the other women who come, and then you've got the disciples who come, and then you've got, and it just grows and grows and grows until the hourglass ends with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus being spread throughout the Mediterranean world. Paul's gone on his mission trips. There are believers in every part of the Roman Empire and beyond. That's Luke's journey in the entire message that he tells But that journey draws a natural focus in Hebrew studies and others. But in Hebrew studies, it was a common tool called a chiasm or a chiasm. It's the idea, it's after the Greek letter chi, that things are at the top and at the bottom, but they draw together into the middle such that you can almost fold them on themselves. And it draws emphasis on what's in the middle. And that's what happens here with this uh, writing. So Luke does this and he structures it. And as he does it, Easter is his turning point. That's what draws the focus, the crucifixion the resur- and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the journey of Luke. Now, understanding the entire scope of what he's written, look at the small vignette of this journey on the road to Emmaus. And as we look at it, here's what I want you to see. The journey to faith is a journey from sad, thick-headedness to enthusiastic joy. Here's what I'm talking about. If we go back, let's go to the PowerPoint for, I mean, the uh, IPVO for a moment, and let's look in some more detail here. So these two are on this walk, and they're talking to themselves, and they're discussing together what happened with Jesus. And Jesus approaches them, and he says, What's this conversation that you're holding with each other? And they stand there looking. Sad. That word's worth focusing on for a moment. They are sad at this point in their life as they contemplate this this, um, factual events of the last three days. Understand, Jesus has been resurrected. Heavens, Jesus is in their midst. He's standing there talking to them. But they don't know it's the resurrected Jesus, and so they are sad. And Cleopas says, um, and it, it reads kind of sharp. Hey, are you the only guy who doesn't know what's going on and what's happened? Hello? And Jesus said, well, what? Detail it to me. And then they detail it in verse 19 through 24. And they basically tell the gospel story there. They tell about Jesus being a great prophet of God who was mighty in word and deed. They tell about how uh, they expected him to to be the deliverer, the one who would redeem Israel from what? Uh, Maybe redeem Israel from the Romans. Uh, A number of them wanted him to do that. But but the, the answer to Israel's problems, they all had their hopes in this man. He was a miracle worker. He got delivered up. He got crucified. They knew the story. They knew the man. They were his disciples. They were his followers. They'd heard his lessons. They knew his crucifixion. They even knew that some people reported he was alive, but no one had seen him. And so here you've got people who know the story of Jesus, but the resurrection is not real to them. They're living on Easter Sunday, and the truth of Easter is not in vivid color to them, and it's left them sad. And the response, if we go back to the IPVO for a moment, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just like the woman had said. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I want you to get this. There's a great irony in what Luke is saying, and you, you don't want to miss it. Jesus approaches them and they say to Jesus, hey, are you the only one who doesn't know? You know, are you that unplugged in? Are you that out of touch? Thinking that they were the smart ones, that they were in the know, that they had the data. And they proceed to tell it to Jesus. But data without understanding is drivel. And the irony is, as Jesus said to them, actually, you're the ones who are foolish and slow of heart. Um, ano et, uh, etos is the word for foolish. Uh, in Lubbock, we'd have translated it thick-headed. It, it it puts the word not in front of the word uh, noose for mind, and so it's 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 not you're thinking. It's 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 thick-headed, it's befuddled, and Jesus says, guys. Think you're not thinking you are slow of heart kardia. By the way, um uh, uh, brought us the, the, the word slow and is is brought us. Cardia is the word for heart in the Greek Brada Cardia is a slow heartbeat in medical terms today. It's just slow of heart in the Greek. That's literally what this says. It's like you got bradycardia. But, but the, the, the buzz on it is, is for the Hebrew mind, the heart was the center of thought. So he's not simply talking about their emotions. He's saying, you're not thinking. You're, you're slow. You got to get with it, guys. You got to catch it. And so the irony of them thinking Jesus is out of touch and doesn't know is flipped on its head because Jesus makes the point, you're out of touch. You know facts without understanding. And facts without understanding leave you standing in the middle of the road sad. Which brings us to my third point. And that is not just the story of the road to Emmaus, but the story of the journey of life. We live a life where I'm afraid all too often, many of us lose sight of that Easter resurrection on a daily basis. It becomes a once a year event, time where you may hide some eggs, time where you may get a new outfit, time when everybody gets ready and goes to church or watches it on the internet. But if you have the knowledge and you don't have the understanding, it can leave you in the road sad. The last people in the world who ought to be sad today are people who understand that God Almighty loved this world enough to redeem us by not only letting His Son die for us, but He resurrected His Son to a new life. His Son reigns in majesty on high, and we are children of the King through the Son. And that same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in the believer. To transform us from what we were to what we will be. The last people in the world who ought to be sad are people who understand the resurrection power of Jesus. So I want to go back to the story for a moment and suggest to you this. If you are experiencing sadness, if sadness is what you've got in front of you in your life right now, then follow the path to Emmaus. They were sad. Jesus began to open the scriptures to them. And their sadness turned to hunger. They wanted more of Jesus. Hey, stay with us. They got food. They were hungry. They were, their hearts were burning within them, as they said. And their hearts, again, is their minds. That's what they were thinking. They were burning within them. And they found out the resurrection power of Jesus and that turned to excitement. They were so excited, they just made the trip to Emmaus. Seven miles, hard walk. And that was in the daytime and now evening has come and it's night. You don't like to make journeys like that at night. Their headlights weren't working. Their cell phones weren't charged. They they, they were going back in darkness. And so going back in darkness is something else. So within the framework of this, I like that journey from sadness to hunger to understand more. To seeing the power of the resurrected Jesus that sets your life aflame and enables you to go back as fast as your legs will carry you in the nighttime, an unsafe time to travel outside without a flashlight or any type of torch or lantern. Maybe they had a torch, but but who knows? But no real lantern. I meant torch in a British sense of a flashlight. Um, no no street lights. And they make that seven-mile journey back out of excitement to tell the apostles. So that's, that's, that's my life. That's what I want. If you're experiencing sadness, I urge you, get hungry for the story of Jesus and the resurrection power of God. And let him turn your sadness into excitement, regardless of what life places before you. Because we walk through it with a resurrected Jesus. So that's it. That's the road to Emmaus for us this week. Next week, we're going to again do the road to Emmaus. But next week, we're going to do the story behind the story on the road to Emmaus. And look at some of these things that Jesus expressed and taught to those disciples. Now, two weeks ago, uh, Phil Keggy, a master musician, uh, went down into his basement for us and he recorded Paul McCartney's band, On the Run. And he did a remake with some lyrics I put to it, and we called it Germs on the Run. And I played that for y'all two weeks in a row. And, and uh, uh, I, I need to tell you three things about that before we close. Thing number one. Um, I've got a new song to play for you in a moment. Thing number two. We've got another song next week already done by Phil that is just jaw-dropping, so you're going to want to be here next week. Thing number three. Germs on the Run had an effect on y'all. Uh, Carol Wilson sent uh, an email saying she'd been singing it all week because she couldn't get it out of her brain. And, and, and here, I'll give you just a, a smidgen, uh, five seconds of it right here real quick. Here it is. So that was it now last night to my delight uh, i got an email and i get a lot of emails in this class from uh, one of the the positive things of reason for joy of us moving outside the church walls for class and into this live internet space we're occupying right now is we've got a ton of people who are watching that don't ordinarily watch? And and you know, we, I mean, from we got a whole basically extension class out in Austin where the pedanatis and the ragis and their families are watching. Uh, up in the Dallas area, the Conrads in Capel, um, the Dalazals in South Lake, I think, are watching. Uh, heavens, I got emails from Berlin where Christians watching and uh, um, we've we've got this massive audience. Well, in the midst of it, we've still got our normal class as well. And so the Wilsons in our class, they've got uh, uh, Christopher uh, uh, and Jessica Wilson have four incredible kids. Uh, Wyatt is their son, and and they've got Sophia, and they're the two older kids, and then they've got the two twins that are, I think, around 10 years old or so, uh, uh, Ava and uh, Oliver. And and I got an email from the mom saying that Oliver, who's 10 years old, he didn't know Band on the Run by Paul McCartney. Oliver has been singing Germs on the Run all week. Was singing it at the dinner table. So the mom and dad shot a video. And I'm going to play, this is not your new song for the day, that comes next. But I do want you to see the kids uh, enjoying this class with, uh, uh, we'll put this video up here. Here it is give you an idea of what it was like for them. thanks uh, shout out to them and i especially appreciate the older kids not being too embarrassed at me showing that i just thought it was priceless and it keeps us intimate even in the process of internet space as a the the family unit watching these so here's your new song for this week before i give it to you i want to bless you in the name of jesus then we'll close out with the song that that phil has done for us this week um I, when I sent him the lyrics and said, "Could you maybe remake this song?" I was a little nervous because this song is is iconic it 's one we all have known all of our lives almost and 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 it 's not one that 's going to be easily replicated and Understand when Phil does this, he plays every instrument anew he 's borrowed nothing except the melody and, 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 and the the All of the instruments he's playing, he's singing all of the lyrics, he's doing the whole thing, he's mixed it in his basement. It's just an amazing thing. If you never Google YouTube videos of Phil Keggy playing, you've missed out on life. But uh, here it is, uh, this week's song from Phil Keggy, uh, uh, After I Bless You. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on everybody who hears this lesson today, that you will infuse in them a hunger for who you are and what you've done and that your deed through Jesus would reverberate every day in our lives in all that we do. It will change who we are. It will change how we treat people. It will change our sense of the world in ways that bring you glory and honor. That's our prayer in your name. Amen. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, and my friends out there, enjoy this Phil Keggy song until next week. Or if you want to do our video lessons. By the way, um, we had, I'm sorry, this is going on and on, very short. Hundreds of people have emailed asking for the, the information sheets that we've supplied that Pastor David Fleming put together of, of God's promises and how God's been faithful through all of that and God wins in the midst of difficulty. He's got all of that put together. It's, it's like 50 pages of scripture. If you want that, info at lanierlibrary.org. Info at lanierlibrary.org. We'll get it to you. Meanwhile, here's your closing song. Thank you and God bless you. I just